Hey guys, welcome to the Startup Tank Climate Investor Pitch Show, brought to you by Forward VC and our partner in crime, Climate Accelerator. If you're a climate company looking to change the world in big ways, you're looking to get customers, grow, scale, and raise your bigger rounds to make a real impact, check us out at forward.vc to learn more about our accelerator and how we help companies literally go forward faster. And this is also brought to you by Valbon. But before we get into Valbon and our other sponsors, I want to tell you a little bit more about the startup tank and what we do here. We're, for lack of a better term, a shark tank or dragon's den for climate companies. We bring on the world's most interesting pre-seed to pre-series A climate companies, and we put them in front of a panel of climate VCs. Our folks at Forward VC, and today we're joined by two other awesome investor panelists as well. We'll give you a lowdown on who's here and how the program works in a sec. But if you are a climate company and you're looking to fundraise, be sure to check out thestartuptank.com and to apply. And on our site as well at forwardvc.vc or slash VC database, you can find we put together 850 climate funds, incubators, accelerators, and CVCs. You can filter those by stage, sector, geography, and check size to find your ideal investor. That's all at forward.vc slash VC database. And I'm your host, Matt Ward. If this is your first time tuning in, we've got five, no, six incredible climate companies tonight. They're going to have five minutes each to pitch to our uh, to our Sharky panel to see who will be crowned startup of the night. The company that wins, they'll get 5,000 British pounds in uh, design services from the Eugen Agency, the number one or our favorite go-to when it comes to climate-focused design, both with branding, pitch decks, etc. And all the runners-up will get a, a free strategy session on positioning their brands to really grow scale, be professional, and raise some funding from maybe some of the sharks we've got here. Our other sponsor tonight is Valbon by uh, Carta, who we love and use for setting up SPVs with our syndicate. So Forward VC, we run an early stage climate accelerator. We invest in companies that are moving the world forward. And we do that at the pre-seed and seed stage, try to help them get two to five plus new major customers, pilots, traction, et cetera, so that once they're done with our program, they can go and raise a real round. Well, we do SPVs or sidecar vehicles, and we use Valbon for that. You can find out more about them at forwards.vc slash Carta, that's C-A-R-T-A. And now that Assure has exited the marketplace, there's not a lot of good ways to do SPVs. So check them out. Now, I want to welcome in my other panelists for tonight. Today, I'm going to be joined by Aaron Sori with Nucleus Capital and uh, Matthias Lawrence with Rockstart. For once, I got all the names right. I'm going to add them into the picture now and let them give a little bit more of a, a chance to to share kind of who they are, what they do, what their funds focused on. You want to go first, Matthias? Yes, thanks a lot for having me in the first place. My name is Matthias. I'm the investment manager of uh, Rockstart Agrifood. We're a domain-specific uh, early-stage investor. So that means we go in a pre-seed or seed. Now, strategies to reinvest in our portfolio companies upwards to Series B. I'm managing today a portfolio of 42 companies across uh, the world within Ag and Food Tech. And we focus on a number of different tech stacks like uh, platforms, SaaS businesses, hardware, uh, manufacturing companies, and biotech companies. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, Rockstar Agrifood in short. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And Aaron? Yep. Very nice to meet you, Matt. Thanks for having me. Um, yep. So I'm an investor at Nucleus Capital. We're a pre-seed seed um, VC uh, based in Berlin, London. Um, we are fairly specific in terms of we like symbio food and climate, and we come in at the pre-seed and seed stage, a little bit more allocation towards the pre-seed side of things. 
but we're fairly agnostic with everything else. So we invest um, globally, so, which is a lot of fun. And then we also invest across various different business models and technology stacks, whether it's software, biotech, hardware. Um, we're quite fond of actually quite CapEx heavy businesses. So it's, um, yeah, I think that's a pretty broad, but fairly comprehensive opening. Because if it's not CapEx heavy, a lot of time it's pretending to be a climate company is, yeah, exactly. is kind of what I like to say. We um, at Forward VC, we do pre-seed and seed in Europe, North America, and Israel primarily. And we'll look at just about everything that's more hands-on and tangible than carbon marketplaces and carbon accounting. Our goal was to have real massive real-world impact, things that can change the world scale, be that manufacturing, materials, food and ag. We'll look at biotech if there's other smart folks on board. But we want to make sure that we've got kind of the right mix of our network, our connections, so that we can help push the companies forward. We've got six awesome companies here for you guys today. I'm going to give us a check-in now to kind of introduce the program, how it'll work. So the startup tank, you get five minutes on the clock. It's a shot clock. At the end, the bells will ding. We'll bring in our investor panelists and we'll have about 10 minutes of Q&A. At the end, we'll have uh, our winner-takes-all climate startup of the night. And uh, a thank you to the sponsors. If you want to learn more about us, apply for an upcoming session. We do this every two weeks. It's the startuptank.com. But now it's time for me to get off of here and to hand things over to awesome companies of the night. I'm going to give a, give a reward for being early. Um, Yorgi with Aqualitas, you want to take over and tell us what the future of the future of water monitoring looks like? Sure, of course. Thank you, Matt. So let me just share the screen. And I'll give you a one minute warning when your time's coming to a close so you can kind of accelerate things. Of course, so I can start. You are good to go, go for it. Okay, great. Hello everyone, it is so great to be here and present Aqualitas, a new era of uh, self-aware water quality sensors. And I want to welcome you to the water world where the water treatment market is expected to double to almost half a trillion dollars in the next decade. Our playing ground is in the intersection between two fast growing segments of equipment and smart water that is expected to reach to $25 billion. Uh, but there is a problem. Water bodies all across the world are polluted and water companies are paying billions in fines. And not only that, but also the carbon footprint of water treatment is enormous. It is estimated that around 3% of the energy consumption goes toward treatment of wastewater alone. We are talking about an annual bleed of more than $4 billion only in the USA. So here you are probably wondering, what are they doing about it? So let me show you, it's uh, like a horror story. So to eliminate these costs, companies that deal with water must know what the water contains at each stage. And they can do it today by installing real-time sensors that cost tens of thousands of dollars. But unfortunately, those sensors start to provide unreliable data soon after they are installed. And the easiest way to explain it is that when you put a sensor into contaminated water, the sensors also get contaminated and start to provide faulty data. But current sensors have no way to self-identify and report the problem when it occurs. They are what we call stupid sensors, stupid, stupid devices. So the common practice is to manually monitoring the manually monitoring the sensors. And it is not really practical because the users never know what the true error is. And as a result, the operators do not trust the data that the sensors collecting, and they go back to do manual tests and eventually act based on their experience and their hunch. So we ask ourselves a question. What if sensors could become sentient, capable of identifying and compensating for faults when they occur, providing immediate and precise alerts of critical failure, and doing all of that at a fraction of existing costs, eliminating millions of dollars in losses? And this is exactly what we do in the Qualitas. We are developing the first self-aware multi-parameter IoT water quality sensors that performs autonomous self-calibration, requires the simplest of maintenance, and can provide reliable information. 
and all of that for an affordable price, and we are already have paid pilots underway. Our sensors are installed in critical points across the water network, and they upload their data to our Aqua Insight Cloud in real time, where our AI monitors the calibration health. And only at this stage, the accurate and precise data of both the water quality and the sensor health is transmitted to the operator on a web platform. So it can notify alerts them of abnormal behavior, notify them when simple maintenance must be performed, and it will enable them to optimize their processes. Uh, our first such platform is the UNUM. It has uh, both advanced optics and multidirectional detection to collect unique data that we later use to train our AI models to separate between the measurement of the water and the contamination of the sensor. And the uniqueness of what we do at Aqualitas is the holistic approach of both the technology and the business model. That means that our modular platform achieves really low equipment costs. The smart algorithms prolong the sensor lifetime and the cartridge-like swappable sensor allow for easy maintenance that everyone can perform. So all those attributes allow us to provide our solution as a service, which means for our customers, they have zero capital expenses and fixed and low operational expenses. So we minimize the risk of uh, uh, the risk and uh, we dramatically reduce uh, their high expenses on monitoring. And the reliable data itself will enable them to reduce the bleed on both energy and chemicals. So for example, for wastewater treatment control, we can monitor critical parameters, provide alerts of anomalous behavior in real time, saving both energy and manpower. And in agriculture, we can monitor the water treatment process that is used for irrigation. And we can also provide information regarding the water fertilization status. So to achieve all of that, we have built a great multidisciplinary team of data scientists, water scientists, business experts in the water industry and experts in sensory solutions. We are a portfolio company of the i Valley Incubator and we have received two grants from the Israel Innovation Authority. One and today we, have, today we have uh, several active pilots among them monitoring of effluent in wastewater treatment plant and the effluent monitoring that is used for irrigation with company named uh, Netafim, which is a global leader in drip irrigation. In the next 18 months, we will start penetration with uh, our sentient sensors to the wastewater and agricultural sectors in Europe. And after that, we will add North America and additional algorithmic services to our solution that will cover all the treatment process. But eventually we see ourselves everywhere in agriculture, in drinking water, even at our homes. So we are currently raising our seed round and we basically invite you to join us in this new era of water equality and a safer future. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for the presentation. Let me bring the other panelists in here now. While I'm doing that, one quick question. What, if any, IP do you guys have? What protects you from, from doing this versus everyone else? Yes. So we have applied for a PST patent that will soon become a patent uh, or go to, to the national stage on the unique part of our technology, which is basically using the data that the sensor collects to do the automatic calibration without stopping the process itself. And here comes the AI and the, the smart algorithms into play. And additionally, we have a lot of uh, IP that is patentable in the near future. Okay. Matthias, do you want to kick things off? Yeah, thanks a lot for, for a great presentation. Can you elaborate a little bit on your go-to-market strategy? I mean, I saw three different, quite different verticals on, on one of the slides. Where is your beachhead market and how are you going to address it? Are you going to use resellers? Are you going to try to set up your own sales force? And maybe uh, as sort of a, a point to that. Who's the commercial yeah. leader in the team? It sounded very tech-heavy. I saw a technion for a number of the profiles on the team. So can you repeat the second question? The, the, who's going to be the commercial leader in the team? I saw that most of the team members come from Technion, which is, of course, is amazing. Um, yeah. But who's going to drive sales? 
So actually, Matan Stroh is our head of BizDev. He was a, a vice president for many years in a big consulting company in Israel in the area of water. So he's very familiar with the water market, the global water market, and worked with many of the big companies in the world. So this is, I hope, answers the second question. Uh, for uh, the first question, uh, sorry if you can repeat it in two words. Yeah, the, the go-to-market basically. I mean, the go-to-market, yes. Verticals. Which which of them are you going to bet on initially? Who's going yes. to give you that virtual uh, sort of uh, traction you're looking for? Yeah. yeah, so we have started from the wastewater treatment facility, basically monitoring the effluent. We are looking at uh, currently at Europe. Basically, we are looking at territories where um, there is a good privatization of the treatment plants. So in Europe, we have around thirty thousand plants, and many of them are privatized. So there are companies that basically operate those plants and really take care of the efficiency of the plants because it costs a lot of money for them. And they also operate a, a big amount of plants, usually not only one. When most of them are small plants, where it is especially problematic for them to monitor the water quality and provide good uh, effluent as a first market. But uh, in addition, we're also working, as I said, with Netafim, which is in the field of agriculture. Again, we're looking in quite a similar application of water treatment, but working with company like Netafim that uh, has a presentation in 120 countries so across the world and 2 million customers uh, is a, also could be a good platform for us. So on one side, it's uh, partners. On the other side is basically resellers in each territory with whom we can work. Yeah, thanks. Aaron, you want to jump in? Sure. Yep. Could you, um, I know you briefly touched on it just then. Could you please describe the pilots in a little bit more detail? And I don't know, the capacity to then convert them into sort of, um, yeah, maybe full-time paying contracts afterwards. And then just a touch on, it'd be really interesting to know how much you're actually raising for this round. Sure. Yeah. So for the pilots, so we are doing did I think about five 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 pilots in the last uh, six months. Uh, all of the pilots were chosen uh, very strategically because uh, again, developing AI in a field where you have a very very low amount of data is important to find partners that can provide you with a lot of data. So this is was a very strategic uh, consideration that we took the pilots. Uh, some of them uh, is with Mekorot. Mekorot is uh, our global water company in Israel, so it is an important pilot for us. With Netafim, as I said, uh, it is a good collaboration that we are looking into because they have a very specific problem in their systems that they want to be solved and they see our solution as a, a solution for it. And we have several companies that uh, we have some KPIs with them, and uh, one of them already actually very interested in our solution and basically paying for, for the solution for them. Okay, excellent. And the fundraise? About the fundraise, so unfortunately, I cannot disclose the amount currently because uh, we are I mean, in this forum, but I can disclose it uh, privately. But let's say it's a standard amount for a company in our stage. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, so one or two million. What's the actual business model look like? How do you guys make money? What do you charge? What are your margins? Yes. So as I said, we are doing monitoring as a service, basically customers and our system is also designed in a very modular way. So the customer basically chooses how many parameters he needs to monitor in his system, how many system he requires, and he pays uh, per month for the use of the system that basically doesn't pay for the hardware itself. Uh, the ROI on our side with a system would be between three to four months, depends on the amount of parameters that you choose. Uh, all the replaceable components are part of, uh, of the pricing, basically already paying for it. 
also the cloud platform and all the algorithms and so on. Uh, the beauty in this model is that uh, the later stage would be to take the data and to develop with it additional algorithms that will be added, like a SaaS platform will be added uh, as uh, additional services for the customers to choose from. Uh, on the pricing point, so we are starting from $350 a month on the most basic plan, let's say, which is three parameters and it's going up for it depends on the parameters. When do companies or wastewater treatment plants start to see savings? What Where are the savings coming from and how much are they actually saving? Yeah, sure. So uh, the energy is uh, their largest cost. So it's, uh, as I said, 3% of the total energy of the country goes toward wastewater treatment uh, processes, especially in aeration, which is part of the process, but also the chemicals. So basically, this is where we are coming in. We don't look so much on the part of the regulation, but more on the part of the process, how do we improve, give the information to improve the process. And basically, they can see uh, ROI immediately because using the data that is reliable, data that they can trust, they can immediately understand how to control their processes in a better way. Matthias, Aaron, any follow-up? Yeah, no, raise, raise your hands. Just shout them out. Yeah. <laughs> how are you dealing with sort of servicing and maintenance and replacement of components? Are you going to do that or how are you going to tackle that? Yeah, so we're designing our solution, our sensors in a way that uh, <clears throat> the components are what we call, we call them single use. It doesn't sound very green, but it's actually much greener than what is happening today. So when our system cannot, uh, when our AI cannot compensate anymore for the deviation of the measurement, uh, we basically can identify it, send our customers a replaced component that he can replace himself. Basically taking one out, putting the other in, the ones that it takes out, it can send back to us for recalibration and moving down the line for different applications. Okay, clear. And I don't think you answered Matt's question on the margins. Very good call. I missed that. Yeah, sorry. The margins for? Uh, the product sale or manufacturing, basically, of the uh, uh, hardware. Uh, for us, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the, the, the ROI for... A system would be between three to four months, and after that is basically everything is uh, spotted. But once you're operating sort of at scale, what cross margin are you going to sort of uh, deliver? I think I have a problem in translation. Sorry. Um, just on your on your income statement, what what is sort of the, the profit you're making after you sell the hardware? I see the, the gross profit. Uh, it's a uh, would be again with scale of uh, of the equipment because we have we are developing the hardware, of, uh, producing the hardware itself as well is uh, around the gross profit around seventy percent. Have you sold so a little bit lower than SaaS than pure SaaS, but higher than carbon? So we are. Because what about the components? Have, have you sold enough components to meet demand for next year, or are there any critical components that are sort of uh, locked up in, in sort of global supply chains at the moment, as we see in other manufacturing companies? It's a part of the challenge today, and we are working around it, uh, again, with also great Israeli startups that is actually, this is their main deal to find components when they are missing. Okay, so still some work to do there. It's always a challenge, yes. Yeah, I just wanted to check, thanks. What do you see as the biggest risk in the business? What could prevent yeah. you from being successful? Yeah, so the water industry is known to be quite conservative, actually, which is could be a big risk because some of the processes could take 
a long time. Uh, again, we're trying to intervene with these processes, so we are not going again B2G, but we are preparing to go B2B uh, because due to privatization, and uh, we have this solution, again, part of the business model, which is a service, it means that the customers don't need to pay a big lump sum for, for the hardware. But uh, this uh, conservatism of the water companies could be... Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, utilities are never a fast sell. Yes. You have to survive long enough to not die to be able to sell these. It's um, it's a super interesting one. Any la any last questions from you guys, Aaron, Matthias? Mm -hmm. Awesome. Then I would say thanks, uh, Georgi. 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 I always, <laughs> I got to get a name wrong every time. It's just one of the rules. And speaking of, speaking of getting names wrong, I'm going to hand things over now to Dijon with Mo with Mori. And they are revolutionizing the packaging industry, making reusable packaging as simple as a as simple as returning a Netflix DVD. If you can, if you can imagine that, when we used to have Netflix DVDs, you uh, you guys there, you ready to rock? We are ready. Awesome. Let me know when you're good. We'll start the five minutes, and then you take it away. Yeah, you can start. Let's go. It's called Mori, and it's a reusable packaging that helps food companies switch to reusable packaging. We provide companies with a whole system of reusable packaging, making it easy for them to switch away from single-use packaging. Claire and I started working together 14 years ago as innovation engineers in the food industry, helping different supermarkets, food producers, and restaurants develop more sustainable products and services. Now we've worked with really big companies like Sainsbury's, McDonald's, Marks and Spencer's and Coca-Cola. And our, over these years, our clients kept asking us, what can we do about our packaging? Their customers are fed up of plastic. Governments are introducing different laws and regulations about packaging and waste. And packaging prices have just gone through the roof recently. The food brands are actually desperate to be more sustainable but there is no easy solution for them out there. And this is where we saw a gap in the market and decided to start Mori. So there are three key pillars in our system. Firstly, there's our innovative flat pack packaging design, which is durable, washable, and can be reused over 300 times. Secondly, easy returns. We've tested different ways of getting customers to return their packaging. And the thing that customers prefer is posting it back in a prepaid envelope. And finally, return systems need incentives. Instead of charging people deposits, we're developing an app that rewards them for fast returns. So here's how we make money. Our main revenue stream is selling our reusable packaging to brands. Once their customers return it to us, we wash it and we sell it over and over and over again. 
the postage and washing actually cost less than producing new packaging, so our profits increase with every sale. And because we're building a community of passionate green customers, we will be able to charge brands in order for their customers to reach all of those brands. Brands will also pay for data about the amount of plastic and carbon they're saving, and they need this for their ESG reporting, and that is um, gold dust as well for their marketing. So the market for the fast-moving consumer good packaging is actually huge. It's a trillion-dollar market, but interestingly, reusable packaging is the fastest-growing segment with around 11% annual growth. Now, since starting last year, we've had around £100,000 in grant and equity funding to kickstart the pilots, and we're currently testing our system with several brands in London. Now, we've developed and tested the mail return logistics, and we've built an MVP version of our tracking system, which actually uses QR codes to track the packaging, where it is in the cycle, and how many times it's been reused. And during these pilots, we've tested and built over 100 different prototypes, uh, tested them with 50 paying customers, which really helped us define the design spec, the material, and the features that it needs. And our current designs cater for dry goods like coffee, granola, and pasta. Now. This is one minute warning. This is what we have right now, but our vision is much bigger. We plan to use our engineering expertise to expand the packaging range and cover the entire grocery basket. We will work with retailers to make it as easy and convenient for the end customers to buy in more packaging. And speaking of convenience, we actually want to make it easy for them to return the packaging as well. So we're developing an infrastructure around reuse. Now imagine that next to your general bin and your recycling bins, you also have a smart bin for dropping off your Mori packaging which is collected on a weekly basis, taken for washing and redistribution. And to tie it all together, we're building a reward scheme to include digital tokens that will help turn waste into valuable assets. So we have a big vision, but we're staying at the quite grounded and taking one step at a time. So we are now raising 250,000 pounds to produce our first batch of packaging, to build the customer app and the rewards plan, and to launch Mori in the UK with the first 25 brands. And we've already received 100,000 pounds from a lead investor and also some match funding from a UK green tech grant. And we're looking Time to close it down up. with 150K. Thank you Perfect. very much. Awesome, thanks Thanks for sharing guys. It's uh, certainly an original pitch with, with the, the start. Let me, bring in, <laughs> let me bring in our investors. Hopefully no one was listening just via audio. Otherwise that was a... A little, little interesting, but let's uh, let's get everybody in here. One question I have while I'm pulling everyone in: Do they have to have these recyclable bins? I thought the system also works as well through the post. It's going to be very hard if you need to get people to put the bins into different locations. Absolutely, yeah. So no, uh, right now the system works only through the postal back system. So it's we provide them with a return label. And they send back in a, in a small envelope. So it's really easy to set, just put it back in the post box. You don't really have to go to a special um, return point. You don't have to use any bins. You don't have to go to any um, post office and wait in the queue. Put it in an envelope and put it through the post box. The bit about the bins is our vision for the future, to build a whole infrastructure, to make it really mainstream and get it alongside your recycling bin. You would have a Mori reuse bin where you drop off the packaging. That's future and future vision. yeah we're seeing that you know there's a big increase in this returnable packaging uh, market but it's really in its infancy so we're looking ahead three or four years to the moment when 
people are becoming more accustomed to the notion of returning their packaging. So it will become a little bit more of a, of a, a common gesture, the idea that you would send your packaging back. And at that moment, we have several councils who are very keen to engage with us because they are all trying to find ways of tackling you know, the waste burden. So there, we've been working with um, different councils in London who are all interested in seeing how this might help them going forwards. Okay, understood. I certainly see it with the, the mailbox, but having to put in the systems, if there's going to be a bunch of reuse return packaging companies that don't have their own system, I think it'll clog up the system even more, so to speak. Yeah. Looks like you wanted to say something, Aaron? Yeah, no, just on the notes of the returning the packaging, have you done any sort of consumer surveys or seen what that kind of adoption is like today? Yeah, so we, we spent um, about six months with a live pilot with about 50 customers um, where we were supplying them with groceries to see, to check, you know, because our first question that we needed to test was, will people really return their packaging? And what was really surprising to us, but really positive and, um, and made us very hopeful was that we saw pretty much a 100% return rate. And we, we wanted to find out, we run um, surveys and a bit of customer observation, and uh, we wanted to find out what is the easiest way for customers to do this. And overwhelmingly, customers uh, preferred to post it back. We also had a couple of customers even bring the packaging back to us. So we've also seen through our surveys that customers, the one thing that they associate uh, with when they talk, when you ask them about sustainability and grocery shopping, they talk about packaging and plastic. It's the one thing that is tangible for customers. And actually, people are super keen to be doing the right thing. And they are prepared to make a little bit of effort um, in order to make that right thing happen. Okay. Um, and then just one other thing on the washing and return. So you mentioned that the washing and return costs less than producing new plastic. Yes. Is that when you guys reach scale or is that right now? Because that's quite uh, a... Yeah, it, there is a moment. Of course, right now we're, we're running um, a few pilots and um, our numbers are quite small. But if you imagine, for example, that we can wash about 250 um, pieces of packaging in one wash load. So unlike many of the other reusable packaging systems, um, our washing is done in a washing machine rather than a dishwasher. So a dishwasher has a very limited capacity because every unit is basically taking up space. In a washing machine, we can fit a lot more packaging. So the washing is really negligible when, when, you, when we're at scale. And the return postage, the packaging is generally posted back, not in a single way, but in, you know, we would, uh, customers would be posting back five or six or even 10 pieces of packaging together. So we can, in the UK, we can post back as a large letter, which has quite a high um, weight limit and has a, um, I think a two and a half centimeter a height, a thickness limit. So we can actually fit quite a lot of packaging in one envelope. And there are other companies we know that are doing this already, like the Bauer Collective, uh, where they're also, it's a question of explaining to customers a little bit about how to organize the packaging within the envelope so that it stays within um, that thickness. Well, that's, we, the, that, that's the main uniqueness about what we're doing is that the packaging is flat pack um, and that it can fit in an envelope and that it's soft so it can be washed in the washing machine. It's more like a pouch rather than a solid container and that's those are the two main things about our uh, actual product innovation i mean in theory could you get rid of the envelope and just have the product itself be shippable with a stamp on it 
Yeah, so we are, are actually testing something exactly like that, where the, where the packaging becomes the envelope. And, and this works particularly well in a B2B2B scenario where our clients are um, using quite large packaging because they're sending out to businesses. Um, and we've been testing that in the, case, in, in, in the sense that, the, 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 so for example, we're sending out a five kilo bag, they are sending out a five kilo bag of coffee. And the size of that pouch means that they can put all of their pouches together inside one pouch, and that's got a return envelope, a return label on it with a stamp, and it gets pre-posted back to us with all the packaging inside. So we are testing that. It's coming back consistently intact, and you know the, the post office is okay with it. It seems to work, and that is um, our one of our um, USPs is to uh, make that packaging into, also into an envelope if, if possible. Can I turn into a question? I mean, as you say yourself, there's quite a lot of companies out there trying to do what you do. And when I speak to those type of companies, the, the feedback is that they run into challenges on adoption from the brands, that having a uniform or a standardized look or container or packaging material sort of defeats the purpose a little bit of setting your brand apart on the retail shelf. Oh, okay. Money is sort of invested into standing out and being yeah. different and not uniform. Some companies even go to the extent of, of protecting the uh, the container they have the yeah. goods in. How are you tackling that issue in terms well, of custom adoption? Well, um, actually, our packaging um, is arrives to our customer. They apply their own label, so it's very um, personalized by each of our brand customers. And then when it comes so to the shape of the container is the same for all brands. Well, right? you know, if you think about coffee packaging, all coffee comes in the same identical pouch. It has usually if you buy very high end coffee, you'll see that it has um, maybe a compostable pouch with a sticker of the brand on it. And our packaging will do the same thing. And actually, I think it's one of our strengths that our packaging is universal. So we don't have, you know, one type of packaging has to go to one type, one brand. Our packaging will go to all the brands who buy into this. And I think that will become something of a, a positive rather than a negative. So it's kind of a universal system, uh, but that is customizable by the brands with their labels. It could be great, especially for just grocery stores that white label their own stuff because yeah, they exactly. all have their own brands. But then you could also eliminate the whole shipping deal because people are coming into the store anyways and they could yeah. just drop it off. Yeah, exactly. That's the future of the drop-off bins. It is about having that drop-off point in the place where it's also sold. And that is sometime into the future, but definitely where we have to go with this. So that so customers will have that option of either using the post or using a drop-off point in their retail store. How, how do you compare sort of a life cycle assessment in, in relative to biodegradable packaging, for example? So biodegradable packaging is not the star of the week. Uh, lots of companies that are highly sustainable are currently ditching it because they have recently, there's a lot of research which has showed that what is described as compostable packaging is not really compostable at all. It breaks down over time into tiny fragments, but it never fully composts. And so companies like um, Abel and Cole, for example, have uh, put out an announcement about a month ago saying they're not using compo compostable packaging anymore because it's in a life cycle assessment it comes off actually worse than um, if you count you know other things apart from carbon then and this kind of packaging is really not doing what it should do and there's been a big backlash on the literally in the last month and a half lots of research um, identifying that compostable packaging actually almost never ends up in the compost bin it usually ends up in a general waste bin 
where it is doubly wasted because it's actually causing more of a problem in landfill uh, or in uh, energy from waste plants. And this is a big problem if you're a company that wants to show that you're doing the right thing and this comes out that your packaging is actually not so sustainable. Um, then this, this is a big worry for a company like Abel and Cole. They're desperate to find a system that is truly sustainable. And our product comes out really well on a life cycle analysis because after between uh, four and seven cycles, we become carbon neutral. And so if we're then going on to 300 uses or even more, you know, obviously that our packaging is, is going to fare really well against a traditional single use packaging super well. How are you carbon neutral? Something's being created. Yeah, that is true. We do have a packaging, but it is it is uh, once we have used our packaging four to seven times, we have used up the same amount of carbon as a company would be using if they used single use packaging four to seven times. Does that make sense? So uh, okay. the carbon impact, but it is it stops after seven. You know, we can we cancels itself out. It's not neutral in itself, but it cancels itself out compared to single use packaging. Understood. Like a carbon payback period. Okay. Yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly the expression I need to use. <laughs> carbon payback period. How do you scale? Everybody's trying to do the same thing. How do you guys win? Well, we win because we have uh, started quite early. We were one of the first companies that we know of who's doing um, who's doing what we're doing. We have a very unique selling point because we have a flat pack packaging, which is much, much cheaper to return and to wash. Um, and we feel like we're ahead of the game right now. And we've also done a lot of work directly with customers, which puts us in a very good position to understand um, you know, how this works and, and how it works for people and what the barriers are from a customer perspective of, of actually doing this. And we really want customers to feel like they're getting packaging, which is exactly the same as when they buy a packet now from the, from the shops. It does the same thing. They use it in the same way. The only one difference is they just post it back afterwards instead of putting yeah, it. Yeah, one of the biggest friction points with our competitors has always been the returns. And it's mainly because they all use solid containers and those solid containers are very difficult to return. You have to order a collection from a, like a DPD or Hermes um, courier. They, you have to leave the, a big box outside of your door when they, when they collect it. So it's a bit of a hassle or you have to take it off yourself to the drop-off point. So this, those are the main friction points. And actually uh, Tesco in the UK was doing a, a similar pilot with a company called Loop, which had beautiful containers, but you had to take them back to the store yourself. They were bulky, they were heavy, they were expensive, so they required a high deposit on them. And those are the main friction points. It's around this circularity around the return. Um, and we've sold that with our um, flat back design and the lightweight and the low cost of the packaging itself, itself as well. Awesome. Any last questions, Aaron or Matthias? No, okay. Well, then, thank you, th questions. Thank, you. Th thank you guys for, thank you for sharing. Thanks for what you're doing and presenting. If you're listening now and you haven't subscribed to the Startup Tank, if you're on YouTube or whatever your podcasting player of choice is, hit the subscribe button to make sure you never miss a thing. If you haven't joined our climate Slack uh, for founders, you can visit that at setforward.vc. You'll find that and more information, our free VC database for climate companies looking to raise, and much, much more also about our accelerator and our accredited investor syndicate. And would love to, uh, yeah, would love if you guys would reach out, share what you're doing, or if you're looking for more information. And now to uh, 
To make things fun, how about we hand it over to a competitor? Rotem with Made Right. Rotem, what are you guys doing that's getting a, a fungi with a fungi? fungi? Yeah. Uh, thank you, Matt. And Maury, I love what you do. I think uh, perhaps competition, but when we look at the scale of things, the sheer quantities that we need to change and the time period that we need all hands on board. So it's not one or the other, it's both. It um, is It is both. You ready to take things away, Rotem? I am. Okay, your five minutes starts now. Okay, just a sec. There we go. So at Made Right, we harness fungi to create sustainable materials. Our first product turns industrial waste into recyclable plastic. We're now closing our pre-seed and working on our V1 prototype. So now we are at a rate of consuming five grams of microplastics from the food, air, and water surrounding us, which is equivalent to a credit card a week going into our bodies. And like Maury just previously said, the plastic packaging problem is a very big problem. From a business perspective, this is uh, converts to a need to solve for three things. The materials we use, the performance of those materials. By performance, I mean the shelf life. And ensuring recycling actually happens. Then we have bioplastics, the supposed solutions. Bioplastics are obtained from renewable resources and or biodegradable or recyclable. Their production requires 65% less energy than conventional plastics, and they solve the life cycle, being either recyclable or compostable. Yet bioplastics cost more, and they fail to meet the industry's requirements, not delivering performance and not hitting scale. And that's exactly where Made Right comes in. At Made Right, we provide a complete solution that perfectly integrates into existing supply chain. We get rid of petrochemicals and make bioplastics natural and durable by producing an additive we call Made Right Shield that enhances the performance of bioplastics, providing a package that extends shelf life. Made Right Shield protects against the three leading causes of product spoilage, air, microorganisms, and light. Its source is renewable and does not compete with human nutrition, and it is recyclable. So how do we do it? First, we receive industrial organic waste directly from companies. You can imagine wood chips from IKEA. Then we grow the fungi on the waste, kind of a biorefinery, if you will. The fungi eat it and convert it into biomass. And then through a essay of biotechnological steps, we extract, extract made right shield and fuse it with other bioplastics, creating pellets that are a drop-in solution for current production uh, machinery. And we sell these enhanced pellets to our customers, packaging manufacturers. For the consumer, the product is identical, 
but it is safe for them and for the environment. And it is also recycled in the same way that consumers already recycle in their home. A, a little bit about the market. It's a trillion dollar market. Our first segment is cosmetic packaging, focusing on a bioplastic market. And statistics show that we're now producing 120 billion units of personal care cosmetic packaging, most of which is not recycled and leads to, and reaches the landfill or the oceans. And side by side, we have 230 global brands that made bold commitments to reduce and offset their plastic and carbon footprint. So the demand is huge. Where will a business happen? We're targeting Europe, where we'll actually be competitive because of regulation compared to fossil plastics. And it is the fastest growing market for um, post-consumer recyclable plastic. And our go-to market targets small to medium cosmetic brands. Our team is made up of experts with strong background in biology, synthetic biology, organic chemistry, and material science needed to execute on our vision hand in hand with the business expertise and deep knowledge in the market. Thus far, we've produced the material and characterized its, um, its features bootstrap. We are now developing our unique recipe to create the pellets and we'll have the prototype within one year. And within a year and a half, we want to have a pilot at an industrial setting, having all the needed regulation and certification to go to market. Time is up. Sorry, I forgot to give you and the one that minute warning. And that was the last. Perfect. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Thanks for, thanks for sharing what you guys are doing and clarifying a little bit more. Sure. So you're basically creating the additive to then allow the bioplastics to perform better. Exactly so. Very cool. Very cool. Do you want to kick things off, Andrew? Oh, sorry, Aaron. Oh, one of those ones. Um, yeah, hi. I was sorry to thank you for the presentation. The um, could you clarify again? Because Matt just asked a question and it kind of confused me a bit. So you're you're not producing the sort of mushroom plastic yourself, you're producing an additive. Yes. Okay. Um, so then your potential customer base will be the people producing the bioplastic. Um, so we have two revenue streams based on the same technology. One is creating bioplastic pellets. These pellets are sold to our customers, packaging manufacturers. Why would they buy them? Because we have an unprecedented claim where we, we would be able to put on top of the package that is 100% recyclable okay. and renewable. Up until now, there has always been a trade-off between performance and sustainability. Now, this is a very strong claim because they can put on, so us as consumers can at that critical uh, purchase can see 
that uh, brand is investing in sustainability. Up until now, it's only been 40%. The second revenue stream is selling just the additive, right. either to bioplastic or fossil uh, plastics. Why is this? Nowadays, only 1% is made from uh, bioplastics and 99% is fossil. So there needs to be some kind of transition phase from fossil to renewable. And we want to help enable the industry to achieve that. Right, okay, thank you for clarity, understood. Um, it's, it's a bold claim you make, but the, we've come across quite a few old plastic companies and quite a few of them also like to make that claim. Whether they're telling the truth or not, another story, but I guess how, how can you sort of validate it, especially considering, I guess you guys are quite early at the moment. Which claim exactly? The one where you basically, the thing with these old plastic companies is they always try and hit sort of three buckets. It's often they want to try and hit price parity, they want to hit the functionality, and then they want to be renewable. And most of the time, even though they claim all three, once you do a bit of DD, you find out that they've barely hit maybe two out of the three. So yeah. just curious about your, your thoughts of that, because you guys say you guys are the first. Just, yeah, how, how are you going to validate that? Thank you for that question. Um... So basically, other companies are a lot of the times competing with fossil fuel plastics like PE, polyethylene, polypropylene, one, two dollars per kilo, right? We're not competing with that. We're competing with petrochemical additives that cost between 10 to 100 and more dollars per kilo. They're very expensive and we're not the main constitute of the package. So nowadays, bioplastics are already, in some cases, competitive with other, uh, other fossil-based plastics. Like if you look at bio-based PE, polyethylene, it is really slightly more expensive than normal fossil-based. So essentially, we are only allowing them to be completely uh, renewable. And because regulation in Europe, which I'd love to dive into why, is forcing the manufacturers to care deep in their pockets, that's why we can actually state that we're cost-effective. Right. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Um, maybe just a follow-up question to that also, because you mentioned some of the material properties as being a UV reflector or protector, oxygen barrier, and also min minimizing sort of the impact of microorganisms. So I assume it's a food application you're targeting for the end product. We're looking, yeah, you're right. We're looking first for cosmetics and then move into food. Exactly. Okay, so. with, with food types initially. Uh, so, for example, coffee. Mm -hmm. Coffee is very sensitive to light and very sensitive to oxygen. That's why nowadays a lot of pa packaging is using laminates. It's using uh, plastic like PE and aluminum. Now, these recycle these um, packaging because it's a couple of materials are making it not recyclable and very expensive. But the package has to 
to be able to provide uh, the performance to keep the coffee reaching your house and tasting good. So this could be uh, our beachhead in the food sector. Okay, very clear. Uh, what about time to market? How many years and how many millions of dollars do you need to reach commercial scale? Um, so commercial scale, it, it's a broad uh, spec. What, 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 do you, what do you mean? A couple of hundreds met or a, a couple of thousands of metrics tons could you yeah whatever you deem is necessary to serve like one of the big fmcgs that, or, or uh, packaging manufacturers um that you're investing as your core customers i just saw that your next step is the pilots to scale right and i assume you need to build out a factory at some point yeah so um we want to build a factory only for the um to prove the technology. And then we want to use a CMO model. Mm -hmm. So Matt, this is answering your question that wasn't translated well in the email. And uh, to build the, the pilot, uh, the commercial pilot capable of doing a couple of hundreds of kilo, we estimate it to be there in four, uh, in, sorry, in, costing around 10 million dollars yeah. and how many years they're estimated uh, at four years four years before you can reach it at a stage where you can put it to a CMO. this is proving already commercially yeah. yeah and because we're not the main constitute of the package then there isn't such a large burden to reach uh, a lot of the actual product if it that makes sense yeah absolutely uh, and on the team who's going to drive the commercialization of the product it looked like a very technical founding team uh we're going to hire a vp of sales but we reach that milestone thanks um one question on the feedstock so you said that it's industrial organic waste do you have a preferred um yeah, preferred source of that waste, or is it just kind of be quite generic? So we do not have. We do have as 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 a part of what we uh, characterize in our POC in order to to materialize it. We used things like um, the the straw and the, the wood chips, etc. But the important thing to note about fungi is that their natural authority in nature is the grand recyclers, right? They're basically everywhere. You know, they're, they're growing in your fridge uh, on your cheese, if you want it or not, or on, on the bread. So that's the kind of manufacturing power we're harnessing. So we have a great flexibility in terms of the different waste streams that we can use. Perfect. Thank you. Which probably also makes it very hard to patent and protect your process because there is a massive manufacturing force of nature kind of trying to do similar things. We would not write the patent on the on this. This will remain the know-how of the company, but of the formulations of the actual product, because this also creates a commercially defensible patent and not just a patent. Understood. What do you view as the biggest risk in the company? So to reach uh, 
that commercialization, we need to first have the, the pilot uh, like, like we described previously. And these companies are, do not like to change the parameters of their huge machines. Um, so this would be the main risk. That's why we've already been in contact with um, these uh, entities, business entities. They're called plastic compounders within Israel and also global players like Amcor, one of the biggest uh, companies to, to already bridge these gaps. And then what brought you to this? What's your background? Um, I did a, a volunteering in Ethiopia. It's a country of 110 million people. And they have no waste infrastructure whatsoever. Nobody comes to pick up the waste. Literally no one. So what they do, every family at the end of the day, they do a small uh, plastic pile in front of their house and they burn it. And I had to do it. And it hurt me to do it. And um, actually, realistically, in Western countries, it's not much better. We just do it in a big factory. But it, the situation is just really uh, quite horrendous in this aspect. And I think that using biotechnology, we can keep the same high life standards, but not compromise our health and our planet's health. This is my kind of motivation. Very cool. Very cool. I think it's a it's a very meaningful motivation. Um, how do you compare? Actually, no. We'll save we'll save that for another time. Uh, thanks, Rot thanks, Rotem, for uh, thanks pleasure. for presenting this. Thank you so Any much. last questions, Aaron or Matthias? No. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Folks, if it's your first startup tank, if it's your first rodeo, hit the subscribe button. Check out our site if you're interested in pitching or if you're interested in kind of accelerating and in a real way accelerating and get serious customers, clients, traction, et cetera, visit forward.vc and check out our partner in crime program because, well, everyone, when you're building a business, you could use a partner in crime. Um, speaking of, well, not really speaking of, but I don't have a great transition here. How about we jump to low cost graphene manufacturing? Mayor Dad, do you want to take things over and share a little bit more about what sure, you guys are doing? Sure. Thank you, Matt. Absolutely. And let me to share the screen. Can you see my screen right now? Looks good. Take uh, yeah. it. Take it away. Tell us about Neural Nano. Okay. Yes. Uh, thank you, Matt. I'm Mehta, the founder of Neural Nano. I'm going to present a novel um, process for mass production of the graphene. We called Sapex. And I'm pretty sure you know about the graphene. Uh, just I think the time is a start, yeah, Matt? Yep, the graphene okay, is yeah. good. Yeah, graphene is a wonderful material of the 21st uh, century. And it is the thinnest material, most strong material, 200 times stronger than the steel, very flexible, superconductive, more than the copper, and for the electrical is conductive for the uh, installation for the thermal as well. And this unique property of the graphene gives a big opportunity to use for advanced uh, technology, same as energy and battery in the 
lithium-ion battery in the composite, I mean the polymer or in the inorganic system, same as the concrete. For example, for the concrete, it decreased 30% CO2 emission. And for the coating, for the smart painting, as well for anti-scratch and anti-UV material, there's a big market of the, graph, uh, of the graphene for this uh, technology. But you, can, you can't see the graphene more in industry right now. What is the reason of that system? The system, the reason of the, we can't see the graphene more in the industry right now because of the limitation of the mass production of the graphene with a high quality mass production of the graphene with low operating cost. And this uh, operating cost is high and is not green and is because it's a cost to the high value of the graphene in the market. Right now, the graphene in the market, the lowest cost is around 200 pounds per kilogram up to 12,000 pounds just for the powder. The main challenges for the production of the graphene is based on the time consuming process. The most process is chemical process. And it's more than two days working on that system. They use a hazardous material and poisoning material, same as a strong acid, sulfuric acid, chloric acid, NMP, DMSO, they are very poisoning material. They have two effects. One on the safety of the system is the complicated control of the system. Another item is regarding the uh, waste treatment of that system is at the value to operating cost. Another problem about the current uh, process in the market in the industry is about a multi-step process, is including the oxidation, reduction, heating, cooling, separation, filtration, waste management. Every process we add to the system, we need the energy consumption. Energy consumption is going up, up and we have an operating cost going up. Another problem is about the low yield of the uh, production of the graphene from the graphite as a raw material. Two minute and, warning. And uh, this item altogether increase the production cost. Our solution is a very simple way, just based on the one reactor that I developed based on the, my 16 years working in the nanomaterial and the oil and gas and battery sector. We use just CO2, just recycle that system. And we have a PC patent based on that system, secure the system. This is very uh, a fast process, less than four hours, and we can increase the scale of the system up to 300 kilograms. We have right now the prototype of two kilograms is included is the same as the semi-pilot production with a net value of the 80%. It's green process and high quality as well. Right now, the key point of the graphene is mass um, production with high quality. Right now we have two kilogram here. The competitor of us for that uh, quality is one kilogram. And we are going to reach the 25 kilogram is a pilot scale. And based on that, uh, we are using this fund and this round for one million pound for that system to use for the engagement with the potential customer and market and to uh, reduce the operating cost. After this stage, we reach a 300 kilogram is a one based on one reactor and is commercial state. And in one big, big system, we have eight hundred that system. And here is the regarding the comparison, uh, comparison with the energy consumption. The regard for chemical is 265, but for the given process, we have is 4 kilowatt. It's a fraction of that system. Most operating cost is based on the energy. And the ability <clears throat> of the system to mass production for the chemical is high, but the energy consumption is high. But for system, the ability of mass production is high with low energy cost. This gives us the net profit margin of 85% of the system. 
and just the team uh, should be me, Professor Peter Dapsen as advisory board, and two person, Dr. Simpson, who is a co-founder of some company in Oxygen in Oxford, and uh, Dr. Amir as well for the co-founder of the Prisica. And I received this item, and uh, Peter is one person famous in the world regarding nanomaterial, and the founder of three company, and the head of the science part of the Oxford University. Thank time, you. time is up. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. Merdad. Thanks for thanks for presenting. Yeah. Um, I hope it wasn't too uh, too technical for anybody. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little deep for me. How? What's the what's the current cost um, for buying um, commodity or just market pricing on uh, graphene to, uh, these the days? Graphene, the graphene price is based on the quality. It's very broad range. The lowest is around two hundred pound per kilogram. But we have some code is around 12,000 pounds per kilogram as well. So it's based on the quality, it's very important. What is that? And the low quality is something similar to graphite. That is not graphene. It's a graphite, but they sell as a graphene. When something seems like a silver bullet or a all perfect solution, it sometimes is too good to be true. It sounds too good to be true. What's, yes. the, what's the downside? What are we missing? For what? The missing of what? Well, just when something sounds too good to be true, there's usually something to find. Oh, I'm trying to yeah. figure out what that something is. Yeah, if you want to throw that one, for the, uh, we need to just a uh, characterization of the graphene. There is an ISO for the graphene to see what is graphene, what is not. They issued by the ISO company in 2021, March last year. And based on the characterization we have done, it shows there is a graphene. Not, not sure I totally got. What do you see as the biggest risk in the business? Let's just. Oh, the biggest risk of the business is lack of the fund in the right time is a big concern. The second should be the long processing of the uh, achieved to the market to the engagement with potential market. Speaking of, you seem very technical. How do you plan on selling this into yes. industry? Uh, Based on this fundraising, when we receive the fund, we are starting to negotiate with the target company, especially in the battery material, lithium ion battery, same as the LG or Hitachi. I had some connection with the, uh, some company in the China, the big company for lithium ion battery, and they are using right now the graphene based on the lead acid batteries, and they are very willing for this material. And uh, during the, based on the engagement with them, and send the customized product for them, give the feedback up to one year. In the same time, we're reaching to the 25 kilogram to reduce the low cost. After six months, after 12 months, we have the plan. We have a first customer and first sell of the system, sell of the product. And that's when you do a seed round or something larger? Yeah, right now, after that, the program is, uh, the plan is, around 15 months to 18 months for this round enough is uh, for 1 million pound. And after that, you are looking for around 6 million pound for 24 months to reach the, uh, a, a small plant with uh, just one reactor. Okay. The system needs just very small space. The capital cost is not too much. Matthias, Aaron? Well, I can give it a go. To be uh, completely uh, transparent, this is definitely outside my area of comfort. So uh, apologies if uh, some naive questions come along. But yeah. when you present it, it's hard to see that this is actually a true venture case. I mean, how is an investor going to realize 20x or more 
on the initial investment. It seems the only way to scale this business is to build a more bioreactors or reactors for the process itself. So how how is how are you going to make room for an exit here for an uh, investment? Um, for the, uh, I have, my background is from the MSc or BCSc is chemical engineer and then go to the nanomaterial, advanced material and six years in that area. And my specialist design of the reactor. I, this design is based on 16 years work on that system. The reactor is very small, not big. And there's a no chemical use, it's a physical. So this is, makes, uh, is a, a, a value of the uh, process. We can have, for example, for CVD is the method for production graphene high quality, but the capital cost is too much. And the ability of the production, mass production is low as well. Just to, just to, I, I don't know if you answered totally what Matthias was saying, but they're doing $3 million per reactor per day, Matthias in revenue, based off of the numbers he said. That's how it might be venture scale. Okay, but so we're talking about like a dividend case here, where the return is going to come through with cash distributions. Or how should I understand it? Yeah. Okay. Um, okay yeah, I, I can. Um, I've got a few questions. So I guess my first one is the: um, Are you positioning as a greener way to produce graphene or a lower cost way? Of oh. The green is for two types, two sections, one for the production, one for application. For production, the energy, co energy consumption of the system is a fraction of the other item. So the CO2 emission is low. Another item for the green is regarding the process. We don't produce the waste, hazardous waste to the environment. It's first from the uh, process. From the application, for, the, for example, for the concrete, they reduce 30% of the CO2 emission. For the lithium ion battery is a green uh, energy for that system and increased around 20% performance of the lithium ion battery based on the my experience in the battery sector with the graphene. Right. And is there a inherent market pull from industry to have graphene produced in a greener way? Because most of the sort of industrial, the big corporates we speak to, they tend to really prioritize functionality over having green. Green is a nice to have, but it's not a must have. So do you yeah. see maybe from maybe a governmental level or regulation, regulatory level it coming through or is there an inherent pull from the market? Uh, for the green type, just as a process, there's a CVD is a something sometimes using the plasma is a green system, but it's very, very uh, expensive system. But regarding functionalization of the graphene is another method. We can use a, a type of the CFD or plasma to functionalize that graphene and to use in the industry. But the functionalization of the graphene is much, much expensive than the powder as well. We are going during that process one year with some chemical, we functionalize that graphene as well. Okay, right. And lastly, um, you said you've been working on this technology for 10 years. Was that been at a academic institution or university? Uh, just uh, 2005, I started my PhD regarding nanomaterial, 2009 finished. And after that worked three uh, years working with oil and gas and the nanotechnology in that system. Uh, I worked at Gen to the University of Southampton for six years as a postdoc research fellow just to developing the reactor for the next generation of nanomaterial for them. And after that, in the battery sector, I developed the reactors. 
And all the here, I work as a research scientist in the lab, as an engineer developer in the pilot plant, as a designer of the refinery, I mean the, uh, this equipment as a base, as a semi-process engineer. So I know what is exactly, what is the problem and bottleneck between the lab scale and the big scale. And I conduct the scale up as well. For example, for my last company. Okay, great. I mean, just the main reason I'm asking is that I was just curious if any of the IP that will be used for this current company has been developed to any other academic institutions. And if that's the case, will you be licensing uh, it or does the IP sit with the company? Right now, I have an IP with PCT. I, we had around six months a deep search about that system. There is no similar IP about that system. But right now we have a PCT and we are going to have a patent or maybe US patent or Europe patent during after this fund. Perfect. Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. The last question I guess I would have for you is which of the market opportunities for graphene do you attack first and why? Uh, based on the, my conversion, uh, two is the first is a lithium ion batteries because the, we, I have some experience about using graphene in this area. And the second should be the concrete. And right now in the UK, we have some company named National, uh, National Engineering Group. They use a graphene in the concrete. How exactly are they using graphene in concrete? What's the kind of use case or purpose? Uh, when we use a graphene in the concrete, around one kilogram graphene in 10,000 kilogram concrete is the level something. And is at the value of around 5% up to the value of the concrete, but it increases 30% performance of the load strength of the concrete. This 30% load, it means we need a 30% uh, decrease in the volume, we can do that. And this effect is 30% CO2 reduction. Okay, so it's like generally using steel as a rebar in, in concrete, yeah, yeah. some similar replacement. Yeah. Understood, understood. Any last questions, Matthias or Aaron? No. Awesome. Then let me take a moment to say that the Startup Tank is brought to you guys by Valbon Bicarda. If you're setting up an SPV, if you're an investor like us and you run a syndicate, or if you're a startup and you have to manage your cap table, give employee stock options and everything else to run your venture scale business, Carta by Valbon, Valbon by Carta, and Carta is a great way to do it. Check them out, forward.vc slash Carta, and tell them the Startup Tank sent you. And uh, our, this is also presented by the Eugen Agency. They're going to have uh, cool prizes. We'll tell you a little bit more in the Startup of the Night segment at the end. To find out more about them and what they do, visit forward.vc slash design to see why we love them. And they're our favorite design partners for climate companies that are looking to have a, a major impact on the, on the branding and uh, business side of things. And last but certainly not least, we got Daniel with Science Card. Hopefully soon, Science Bank. You want to take things over, Daniel, and tell us what you're doing? Of course. Um, thank you so much. Can you see my presentation? I see your presentation. You look good and are good to go. Take it away. Okay. All right. Cool. Hi, everybody. So I'm taking you into the world of fintech from this amazing production-orientated uh, uh, climate tech startups. So <clears throat> we are actually... We are, uh, our name is Science Bank. We are building a technology bank with one mission to propel discoveries. We are powered by MasterCard and we are transforming the banking industry to use money in a smart way to actually create the, sorry, the future earlier than later. 
So let me just uh, switch to the next page. So the opportunity is actually massive in the Challenger Bank because uh, the market share is about to become very significant, particularly in the UK or in the next 10 years. Um, but Challenger Banks have a problem. Still nine out of 10 people don't switch to them. And we believe that there is a lack of trust. There's also a lack of mission. So if you come in with a mission and, and a proper trust, you can steal a lot of market share. Second opportunity that we see is massive in the in the sustainability sector is there's a massive tech sector growing, fully aligned with SGD goals by the UN, and they have a huge borrowing demand. And in green energy, in pharma, AI, and robotics, there will be a lot of tech, uh, technology loans needed in the future, and we uh, and there will be an expert expert bank needed that can underwrite such loans. So we are jumping for both opportunities. We are building a mission-driven digital bank that is focusing on funding technology. So you can A, bank with us, uh, and we offer you to be part of a mission to use finance as a force for good because banks are doing business with your money. We will do business with your money too, but to then fund science and technology and create the future earlier than later. So we'll be a specialized underwriter for technology and winning contracts through our technical know-how. Our role model as a bank is Silicon Valley Bank, but much more technical, super fancy and, and modern and also for uh, personal accounts. And our overall mission as a bank is to propel scientific discoveries. So we have built in, uh, in every product uh, a feature that it must propel discoveries. Uh, fantastic team, quick myself, uh, the PhD, uh, founded the AI software company, sold it after four years and now we're building a bank uh, other founders, Vitas and John, both 10 years experience, JP Morgan and academics, super legal advice. And uh, so as a bank, we are actually building more than a bank. It should be, it's a symbol of societal growth that we are building and creating in the UK and later around the world. Uh, many innovative products. So here you can see Science Card, which you can in the UK open the accounts with for you in, in April next year. And we have a broad spectrum uh, of products over the years. Um, so we are launching the personal accounts where you can bank with us, but we also build a very unique feature in where you can invest in scientific research and by investing you are getting IP of that research. So think about you can, you through our accounts, you can fund COVID vaccine research in the past in University of Oxford and actually own the intellectual property we have with more than 30 universities IP deals uh, that we can match that IP to you. We are building business accounts with all our academic partners and companies like more Aqualitas and so on would be perfect customer for us because you can use our network to grow in academic and businesses, particularly university accounts and we lend. And we have one unique feature that we are specialized research financer as well. Um, uh, huge market business banking and so on, no secret is big. Uh, the difference from our market is that we have access to the patent market as well. We stand out of competition, don't go in there. Uh, go to market, we start with personal accounts. We go very early then into lending and we start- One minute warning. Starting to build out further accounts and so on. We have different income, two income streams that is non-interest income from payments and, and fees and interest income. And this kind of, over the years, by year six, when we aim to break even, our in interest income will roughly be 65% 60, 60 of our revenues. 
And lastly, global scaling and why, why now? And this is a funny question. It has never been a better time to build a bank than today. The interest rates are massive. The banks are getting filthy rich by all the interest rates paying. Crypto has crashed. Uh, things are going back to regulated entities. Consumers are warmed up for fintech. And you can build it cost effectively. So I always say, look, in history, the Apollo mission gave us the internet. So what can a bank for science and uh, fund technology do for us. We, we believe huge, huge things. And uh, uh, we would love to have you as clients and investors. Thank you. Time is up. Perfect, perfect timing. Thanks for thanks for presenting what you're doing. Uh, thanks for sharing everything. Let me bring our other investors in. One big question I ha I would have just kind of as we're kicking things off is what has the what has the uh, crash kind of created for you in this uh, the climate ecosystem? Uh, I mean, not the climate, sorry, the crypto ecosystem for funding these type of projects. I got to feel like there's less appetite now. Um, you, we don't, we don't, we don't, you don't think it's, uh, we don't see that it's less appetite to invest. Um, but <clears throat> we, I, I mean it in a certain way that traditional fintech and regulated entities like us going for a full banking license is, is very appealing in days where VCs got very bad burn in, in investing in hype-driven crypto companies. And uh, what is so important with the money is, is the trust. So the first question we want to answer is uh, to a person who gives us the money, is the money safe? And yes, it is safe. It's fully regulated. So it, it goes really back to a very simple question about safety with money. And that's a benefit for us. Matthias, Aaron? Yeah, just for my full understanding here, maybe uh, try a, a little bit direct, but when you present your case, it sounds like you're like a traditional bank relying on interest income. So I assume that your edge here is your credit risk models, that you're better at assessing the credit risk than traditional banks when it comes to sign projects. Is that rightly understood? That's rightly understood, yes. That's the, the, the lending part that we are building out. Yes, exactly. Okay. And some of those team members who have banking experience, have they worked specifically with credit risk models or how are you going to make sure that you, you get all of the best practices from the legacy banks? Yes. So so, so my co-founder Vitas has worked as, uh, seven years at JP Morgan. He did a PhD in, in interest, rate, interest rate risk and credit. And he has built their uh, hedging system for, for the whole trading team. So he has, he has a huge experience in that. And obviously, yes, we, we don't know everything, um, but we are very well connected and uh, uh, there's a lot of buy-in we can do, but we have very good fundamental knowledge. Thanks. Um, How are you facilitating the, oh, sorry, go ahead, Aaron. Go ahead, How do you facilitate the buying of IP and what risks does that present? So, so buying buying of IP is it's in the UK. It's it's quite a known model. So um, I'm sure you know Welcome Trust or the Cancer UK research charity. And uh, what you basically have, you have an IP uh, equity and revenue sharing policy with the researchers, and that says if you as a researcher take our money, we make conditions that any arising invention will will be split something to us. So let's say 10 or 20% of the any arising revenue or equity of a new uh, spin-off company will belong to the founder of that research. 
and that's a standard model that has been applied in the UK. Other countries are a bit different. What's the average ROI on investing in IP? I've got to feel like it's that, probably really bad because most most retail investors are kind of just guessing. So there's a reason why the government is investing in science because the ROI is bad. And uh, but that doesn't mean it can be good. So the ROI, the science, how the science projects are selected in 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 the UK, that's that's a system that is 60 years old. It's completely outdated. So if you come in with a mindset of, of startup and evaluating in a, in a venture capital base and you select research that has a high impact on the scientific side, high, high potential for commercialization, and you monitor properly, you can boost those numbers quite significantly. Um, but you need to understand it's further down the chain that a spin-off of a, of a, 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 a spin-off investment early stage. So the risk is, is, is ultra high to invest in IT. Aaron? Um, yeah, so you mentioned that you've got a you've got a IP deal with 30 different UK-based universities. Could you describe that deal slightly? Yes, yes. So they're in, in, in um, just for clarity, because it's a public um, um, display, is we are in negotiation with those deals. And uh, they're basically signing off our IP policies. And, uh, and, and then the researchers from the universities can send us their um, uh, projects and they will then be available to be funded by our clients. Okay. And did you find that was a particularly easy sell? Were they quite happy to come on board or was there a little bit of- that's, So that is, this is a really difficult job. It took us 18 months to get there. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and we are, we are very, um, so, 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 because we share their background and the, the, the motivation of our company is that we are building a bank to bring the universities closer to the capital market. Um, and, and just the whole overall framework and the long-term vision that they can get from us is, is, is causing, um, is, is just creating a lot of harmony and we like to work together. And we were one of them. So we understand how they work, how they think, and we think like them. Sure. Okay. Now, how are you going to capitalize the bank sort of long term? Are you aiming for a credit rating to go to public markets? Are you relying on retail deposits? So what's the strategy? Yes, exactly. So um, retail deposits and business deposits, we can only use once we get the banking license. So that's the, the banking license. You can use your own cash flow to lend. Uh, until then, we use a, a broker or a B2B lending bank um, to, to lend that money out. The downside there is the margins will not be great, but they will be just break even. So the margins will kick in once we get approved as a bank with a banking license. And did you say April next year for that approval? No. So the banking license will take three years from today. Ah, clear. Okay. A so a April, we are under an umbrella. We, we Similar to, I mean, Revolut is not a bank yet today. Similar to Revolut, we have a EMI license that we use rent basically and people can open a bank account with us in april get a sore code account number it's just that we are we don't have access to the deposits they sit somewhere else yeah thanks for clarifying and that's uh, sort of misunderstanding yeah. along those lines how do you plan to acquire customers and users i mean there's a lot of banks there's a lot of neo banks mm -hmm. the 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 mission the mission it's a <clears throat> 
um, just about hiring a, 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 a growth team and uh, it's it's kind of a market stream and it really speaks to the people. Um, I have We have had a very small budget so far for the marketing, a very good CAC around five, five pounds, uh, a waiting list uh, soon approaching three, uh, 2000 people. And it's very compelling with the people to, to have a mission and a revolution with a bank. Something we think Monzo have failed to capitalize on. What do you foresee your LTV being roughly? LTV? Lifetime value of a customer. Uh, you mean how much a customer will cost us over the No, no, how much, how much you'll earn from every customer user. Okay, so, so per, per, per year, we estimate to earn per customer something between 30 to 50 pounds per customer as a revenue. Um, it costs, but also a lot to, to sustain. So a cost per customer is around 30. So we need to push it up above 30. And why would, why would a, a customer or a user go with you guys versus a lot of the other Roundup or invest it in renewable energy or et cetera, et cetera, climate fintech kind of bank slash card companies out there? Yes, yes. So absolutely. So. Let me. There are few. There are some. There are obviously there are competition in in, uh, in in Europe. I think Germany has one particular. that's called Tomorrow, um, which is very focused on green. Um, just our our differentiator is that uh, we we are really focused to tackle the problem at the core, the science, and we come from the science background, and uh, it is it is very team agnostic so now it's climate change then it will be antibiotica resistance then it's plastic pollution it has so much for everybody it's so broad and uh, it speaks almost to 50 percent of the population that uh, are uh, related to education healthcare, um, science and technology and uh, and uh, it, it's just we, we see it's very appealing What's your initial go-to market? I feel like colleges and universities are probably the way to go for this. Get them to fund uh, uh, essentially their own work and professors, et cetera. Yes, yes. so go-to market, yeah. working with universities, launch at the universities, get the staff and students, the researchers, um, but then also go for a wealthy millennials, wealthier generation, effective altruism, people who want to change the world, who want to do good, um, and also high net worth philanthropic people. Did you have an Oxford card and white label it so that the students and sa- faculty at Oxford get that as their kind of perks and their funds then go to fund research at Oxford and Oxford or whatever the transaction cost is a lower percentage than it normally would be? That's in discussion, yes. Something like that. That would be interesting then. Anything Anything else, Aaron or Matthias? No, thanks. Awesome. Then Dan- Daniel, thanks for thanks for presenting. Thanks everyone. Thank for you so sharing. much. And um, now we gotta we gotta move on to our last segment of the night, the 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 climate start of the night. This is presented to you guys by Eugen, uh, our favorite design agency. If you need a pitch deck, if you need a logo, if you need a website, anything to do with branding, a, land- a landing page, etc., they're the ones to go to. And whoever wins tonight, well, you're gonna get five thousand. British pounds, not just dollars and free services. Although the pound's getting hammered these days, that's still a ton of money. And everybody else, you'll get a free uh, strategy consulting session on your 
brand and kind of way to way to position it and potential possibilities for um, improving that. Now, start the startup of the night. Basically, this is us chatting around like a bunch of beers saying, okay, who's our favorite company? Who would you want to set up a meeting with? What are the one, two, three that you were most impressed by and why? Um, does anybody want to go first? Let the silence do the work. Okay. Nobody wants to go first. I will go first this time. So in terms of in terms of me personally, the companies I was most excited about. I mean, I I really like what hmm, I like what Made Right is doing in terms of creating kind of a way to make plastics and bioplastics more performative, if that is in fact a word. Because that's one of the issues we've seen. We invested, um, we invested in Applied Bioplastics VR Syndicate, and they're uh, decarbonizing durable plastic. And plastics in general, what we learned from going through that process was there's not a lot of great bioplastics out there. And if this helps other bioplastics, especially in the kind of polyethylene and single-use plastic space, enter the market, uh, less plastic in the world is a good thing, especially if our plastic is now grown from mushrooms. And the other one that I was... Um, the other one that I was pretty excited about is is Mori. I don't know necessarily if it's going to be Mori that ends up winning, but I do like the concept of sustainable, reusable circular packaging that you can drop off in kind of a post box because pretty much everything that we throw out in our house is food products. It's just the packaging. And it's annoying to see so much packaging getting tossed into a garbage for no reason. There's got to be a good solution. Maybe it's these guys. And if it is, and their patent really holds up, and no one else is able to do that on a kind of scalable, systematic way, maybe there, maybe there's something there. Aaron, do you want to go next? Yeah, sure, happy to. Um, so I echo your sentiment with Made Right. I like the rising tide sort of raises all the ship sort of attitude towards if they can help the functionality of other bioplastics, it's a good thing for everybody. Um, on top of that, I think. Mushrooms and fungi are underutilized technology, and I think that's a trend that's just going to be increasing as we move forward. Um, I was also quite curious about the graphene production company. I can't remember the Nuo Nano. Nuo Nano, yeah. Nano, I was yeah. very, I was very impressed as well. I just had, a, I had a little trouble following. Yeah, I'd like to maybe learn a little bit more about the actual tech behind it, the functionality behind it, and the sort of um, because graphene. I think it was mentioned recently that you know it seems a bit like a magical material that can do everything but the problem the real bottleneck is our actual production and i think having a sustainable and more efficient way to produce that's quite interesting i'd like to dig into the science a little bit more with um that so i'd say those two um particularly resonate with me but to be honest i was quite impressed with just the overall quality of, of all of them and i think the um the first company we met um aquilitas aquilitas yeah yeah, um, that made me quite excited because there's, unfortunately, especially in the climate space, we don't see many high quality water companies. And I think that the sort of combination of having the IoT sensors as well as a software platform as well was a intelligent um, approach. And it's just nice to see a few more sort of water companies coming up. Especially if the water system is really that dumb, so to speak, that it's not intelligent. Uh, Matthias, what about you? Yeah, I think I'm very much on the same page. I mean, Aquilita stood out to me for sure. I love that they had a partnership with Netafim already. Very strong technical team for sure. Um, they, they, I think they didn't 
I know they commented on the sales aspect, but I'm not sure if, if they have um, enough sales competencies or commercial competencies in the team. Um, and then it's really hard to tell also because it's sensor technology. So we need like a proper dive into the underlying technology to say for sure. But the market is gigantic. It's a real problem. And uh, it sounds like they have some strong partnerships already lined up. So quite promising. Um, Marie, I don't believe in so much myself. I've seen so many of those companies. Uh, for me, it's very limited IP. And in some countries, I come from Denmark, where we have quite a sophisticated recycling system already run by the government. Uh, very little go to waste already. And, and if you throw out trash, it's gone for, uh, going for central heating systems. That's quite effective. Um, so if we actually need a solution like this, rather than a biodegradable sort of packaging system, I'm not fully convinced. Um, yeah, and it's it, it's really crowded market already. Um, I really like Made Right. I love that they are an ad additive company and not trying to do the actual polymers in turn themselves. A lot of people are trying to do that also. So they're playing in a niche of a niche, uh, but in a super fast growing market. Uh, quite interesting. Um, and then lastly, on the nano um, a company or graphene company, to be honest, I don't understand the technology well enough to judge them. But based on, on the pitch itself, it seems like a really interesting opportunity for sure. Yeah, if the number if the numbers and everything work out, that one's yeah. that one's pretty fascinating. Then um are we going with made right or are we going with new on nano? If if the choice is between those two, I would prefer made right personally. But that's also because it's closer to what I invest in on a day-to-day basis. I'm very close to we have invested mm -hmm. in a bioplastics company, just for full transparency. And so I'm super biased, to be honest. But yeah, I like the pitch. I like the idea. I, I would go with Made Right as well, because one of the things I found is charisma plays a big role in, in venture. And I think, Merdad, that something kind of pitching is, that's probably something you need to work on a little bit to be able to get the information across a little bit more clearly. Not, and yeah, everything is taken constructively. Aaron, what, do you, what about you? Um, yeah, my pick would be between, I think, Equalitas and Made Right. But if you two have gone with Made Right, then I'm happy to skew towards that way as well. Awesome. Then congratulations, Rotem and Made Right. Yeah. And congratulations, everybody, for pitching. I'll send you a little bit more information on the prizes, of course. That's from the Eugen agency. You can check them out at forward.vc slash Eugen or slash design. And if you're trying to set up ESOPs or you're trying to run an SPV or you're trying to set up a venture fund, I don't know anyone who is, but if I did, I might point them towards Valvon. And they're a great way to do it from Carta, basically one of the biggest and best players in the overall funding startup landscape. Uh, check them out, forward.vc slash Carta. Matthias, where can people find you and learn a little bit more? Uh, please contact me on LinkedIn. I would be really highly appreciated. Yeah, thanks. And Aaron? Yep, same. So it's just my, my name on LinkedIn. Um, we also have a, um, on our website, there's a, a platform where you can just basically submit your pitch deck. So if, um, and then we try and get back to companies as quickly as possible. We, we have the same. <laughs> <laughs> And for us, if you want to pitch, this is the Startup Tank, the startuptank.com. You can apply there. If you're a pre-seed to a pre-series A company doing something awesome in the climate space, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, again, if you're in that pre-seed or seed kind of stage and you're looking to get some serious traction with customers, pilots, and really be able to raise a, a real seed round, not just kind of fake the numbers, uh, forward.vc slash accelerator. You can learn more about our partner in crime accelerator program. 
And if you're looking to raise and you're trying to find all the investors out there and pretty much everything they're looking for, forward.vc slash VC database. We've got 850 funds, incubators, accelerators, and CVCs. It's filterable by focus, stage, sector, geography, check size. So you can find your ideal investor, whether that's me, Matthias, Aaron, or somebody else. And this has been another episode of The Startup Tank. Check us out at thestartuptank.com. Hit the subscribe bell, share this around. And remember, we're all on the same team, Team Planet. So share a, share a little karma, it comes around. Cheers.